Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Thursday, January the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we bring an insider onto the podcast to give us the latest on the mood in the Dolphins locker room, Chris Greer's long-term vision and plan, the coaching search, and much, much more. But first, really quickly, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter, at WingfulNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins, and of course, the number one blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com, where you can find all my written work, analysis, film study, all that stuff you guys love up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the best beat writer in South Florida waiting for us on this podcast. Let's not waste any more time and get him on. That's another Miami Dolphins. I'm not really sure when it happened, but sometime on New Year's Eve, I started feeling like absolute crap, and it's all been downhill for me from that point, hence the missed show on Wednesday, so I do apologize for that. We are back today, feeling a little bit better, not all the way back, but the podcast is back, and that's what's important, and speaking of important, we have an important guest for the podcast today, none other than the Palm Beach's own Joe Shad. All right, and I'm joined now by a friend of the podcast and a beat writer for the Palm Beach Post covering the Miami Dolphins. He is none other than Joe Shad. Joe, what's going on, man? Hey, Travis. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. I'm actually, I'm a little bit under the weather, but we're going to fight through and get this podcast up on the airwaves and and get the people some inside information here, hopefully on the Miami Dolphins and all the stuff going on right now. So let's go ahead and just jump right into that. And the first thing I really wanted to ask you about, Joe, is the new executive vice president of football operations, or perhaps absent of that title, the new promoted GM, uh, Chris Greer, and the guy on top of the chain of command now in Miami's front office. And Joe, they acted extremely fast in making that announcement without interviewing any other candidates. So what can you tell us about how that decision was made to promote Chris Greer to the man in charge? Well, you know, Chris Greer, uh, Travis, was a little bit more of a soft-spoken, reserved, kind of behind-the-scenes guy as opposed to Mike Tannenbaum and Adam Gase, who were uh, more uh, out there in terms of uh, how they, you know, engaged with the media and uh, how they had a, you know, a more public persona. So uh, owner Stephen Ross decided that he wanted to try something different. And uh, I guess what he came up with was the idea of giving a guy who's been scouting players for more than 20 years the opportunity to prove that if he had been in charge uh, over the last uh, four or five years, that uh, things would have been better, things would have been different. Because even though he was the general manager in charge of the draft, Adam Gase was the most powerful person in the organization for the last three years, followed closely by Tannenbaum. And, uh, you know, Ross does lean on familiarity. And uh, there's no doubt that it's a bit unusual to retain Greer, considering he certainly had some involvement in the Dolphins' recent downturn. Yeah, and you alluded to the draft a little bit, and he was the director of college scouting for a long time, and you said in charge of the draft. So is the reason that he kind of gets this promotion is because, frankly, when you compare it to previous draft runs of this organization, the last three years really has been pretty good in comparison. 
not bad. I mean, obviously, Charles Harris yeah. is on the verge of bust. Uh, we do not know if Cordray Tankersley will resume resume form. We do not know how he will bounce back from his uh, torn ACL. Uh, you know, so but there, you know, there are clearly some hits. Uh, Xavier Howard, Laramie Tunsil, Kenyon Drake, uh, as well as some late round defensive tackle picks. <clears throat> it's interesting. Over the course of Greer's career, he seems to have hit. Uh, pretty frequently in the fifth and sixth yeah. rounds. Um, guys like Jay Ajayi and Rashad Jones, Vincent Taylor, uh, Devon Godshaw. Uh, he's a guy who seems to have uh, a nose for unearthing uh, later round draft choices. And I think that uh, what the Dolphins are hoping is that he and his staff, it'll be interesting to see if there's any changes on the staff under him that they can uh, have a similar type of success in free agency because I don't think the Dolphins, Travis, are going to be uh, scouring the, uh, you know, the, uh, the first wave of free agents. I think they're going to be looking for the, the bargain basement guys, the, the 24 to 28-year-olds who uh, didn't necessarily break through as some expected in, in, in their first try guys who are maybe a little overlooked. Those are the guys I think the Dolphins are going to be looking to sign in uh, in March. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually a topic I wanted to bring back up on the podcast a little bit later on. But I do think you're in the right the right frame of mind there as far as kind of finding the bottom of the barrel type of guys that can maybe give you more you know, more bang for your buck. And the way Andre Branch kind of did in 2016, but maybe not give him the big contract afterwards. But speaking of the draft and the late round gems, they've actually hit on some first round gems. You mentioned Laramie Tunzel as well as uh, Minka Fitzpatrick this last season. And this year could be the year they decide to go to the quarterback in the first round if it all works out the way they would hope it would. And uh, I just want to talk about quarterbacks with you real quick. I think you and I spoke about this last time I saw you. And I think it's, it's safe to say that you and I shared our belief that Ryan Tannehill... He kind of got a raw deal in Miami, but I also think it's safe to say that he's probably done as a Dolphin. And the free agent market and the draft market isn't great at the position, but which of those potential guys, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater or maybe a Dwayne Haskins, do you think that Miami might have the most interest in this offseason? Well, drafting 13th, it doesn't look like the Dolphins will have a tremendous opportunity to move up high enough to get Dwayne Haskins. You have two franchises at least ahead of them in the Jaguars and the Giants who seem quite likely to take quarterbacks. You have Haskins from Ohio State. You have the quarterback from Duke. And then lower, you have the quarterback from Missouri, who certainly could be on the Dolphins' radar. I would have no issue with the Dolphins taking Drew Locke, for example, if they believe that he has the potential to be an above-average starting NFL quarterback with their first-round draft choice, and then not starting him, signing anyone else, Teddy Bridgewater, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Robert Griffin III, whatever, and then... Uh, not playing Locke all season, even playing David Fales or uh, Luke Falk, because the goal next year is not to win games. I mean, I have no issue with running a combination of, you know, Luke Falk and Ryan Fitzpatrick out there. I probably wouldn't sign Fitzpatrick because he'd probably win too many games. (laughs) (laughs) He'd screw up the, the tank for Tua, you know, he'd screw it up, but... You know, uh, I think Dolphin fans need to get on board with the idea that it's a soft tank for next year. You know, uh, owner Stephen Ross said he doesn't want to necessarily win three games, but I think he'll be okay with four to six. 
and uh, maybe, you know, maybe four or five. You saw the Jets won too many games and then ended up having to trade up with the Colts to get Sam Darnold. Yeah, not right. Yeah, yeah. That might be something the fans don't want to hear, but at least to me, that signals something. They're going to do something different for once, rather than kind of bandage things over with the aging veterans or the thirty-plus-year-old players that wind up on IR half the time. So I suppose in that way, it's encouraging. And I want to talk more about with you that more with you on that, Joe, on the other side of the podcast here again. He is Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post, and this is the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your host Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. All right, second segment here of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Travis Wingfield joined by my guest, Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post. And Joe, we talked about Chris Greer in the opener, but what about his vision and his plan for this team? Because putting aside the quarterback position, you talked about it. Stephen Ross mentioned a desire to change the way they do business vis-a-vis seeking out those older free agents and, and being more careful on the free agent market. But there are currently plenty of guys on this present roster that were acquired by the now previous regime, you know, whether it's Kiko Alonso, Robert Quinn, we already mentioned Ryan Tannehill, Andre Branch, on and on and on. Do you think that this roster is about to be purged? Yeah, no doubt. I think that the uh, Chris Greer needs to look at uh, cutting a bunch of players who have failed to live up to expectations and then trying to trade uh, anybody who has value for uh, – whatever assets they can get. So, you know, if, if somebody wants to trade a first rounder or more for Xavier Howard, as crazy as that might sound, because you think you, okay, he's one of a few building blocks or a second or, you know, third rounder for Kenyon Drake, maybe probably second, uh, or second rounder for Mike Kosicki. I'm just looking at the roster, you know, trade these guys, just trade them. A second rounder for Kenny Stills, trade them. If there's somebody who's willing to take them, you know, uh, a third or fourth rounder, fourth rounder for TJ McDonald. Uh, let's just go ahead and do it. Let's just clean it out. Uh, if you need to, if you need to start four undrafted free agents next year, undrafted rookie or otherwise, so be it, man. Um, it's all about accumulating draft picks. It's all about the Dolphins' process. You know, go the way of the Cleveland Browns. Go the way of the Oakland Raiders. Go the way of the Philadelphia 76ers. Start over. And, uh, and of course, guys like Andre Branch are going to be gone. You know, this probably makes it less likely that Cam Wake returns. Although I could see him coming back on a reasonable one year. But why would he want to? Yeah. You know, I probably you know go go play somewhere where you have a chance to actually win a championship. It hasn't happened for you here. Yeah, it'd be hard to see, but it'd also be great to see a longtime Dolphins fan. And speaking of being a Dolphins fan for a long time, you mentioned that it sounds like you're pretty resigned to the fact, Joe, that these, this team has a really good chance to be really bad in 2019. And I think Dolphins fans would welcome that in the idea that there's a long-term vision and a long-term plan because this 7-9 and nine stuff, it gets really old and you just, you just feel ultimately irrelevant in the league when you're constantly seven and nine eight and eight like you just don't matter you just kind of exist in the league and I've talked about it on the podcast before but let's go ahead and change gears here real quick and turn things over because we know there's going to be turnover on the roster and there's for sure going to be turnover on the coaching staff and that leads us into the uncomfortable topic of jobs lost so Joe from what you know how did the decision come down to move on from Adam Gaze well there's no doubt that the way the Dolphins finished their season uh paid a gigantic emotional toll on owner Stephen Ross. He looked beaten down uh, as we watched him in the owner's suite uh, in that embarrassing, humiliating home loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was very uh, shaken 
by how they were smashed on the road in the season ender to, to Buffalo. If the Dolphins could have won two or even one of those games and finished 7-9 in different fashion, I think Gase would have certainly had a better chance to return. But it did, did appear that the players laid down, and I was actually surprised at a lot of the comments or no comments that I heard from the locker room after that Buffalo game. And I asked Danny Amendola, I said, you know, you've been around championship teams. You know what it takes to win. What's missing? And he was like, uh, sorry, I'm not going to tell you. I was like, wow, that's freaking amazing. I was like, do you want to be back? He's like, I'm under contract. Wow. I was talking to Jawan James and I was like, I was like, look, I know that, you know, you don't have, you haven't gotten a long time deal, deal here. Are you open to returning? And he goes, it depends who's still here. And I was like, wow, <laughs> clearly alluding to Adam Gase and or Mike Tannenbaum. Kenyon Drake jetted out of the locker room the last game before he had an opportunity to say goodbye to me or anyone. Uh, clearly frustrated, very angry with the way this season went. Um, you know, it's kind of same old story, man. Like, offensive linemen always want to run the football, and running backs always want to run the football. So I think that that's one of the things that the Dolphins franchise needs to look at moving forward. Um, creating a, a culture where running the football is, is not naughty. It's like, okay, it's part of the actual offense. And, uh, and where... Um, you know, being tough and physical on both sides of the ball is uh, is more a part of uh, of their vision and what they want to do. That's why I think that they're probably going to hire someone, maybe defense, because their defense has been so awful. I think it makes sense to try to fix the defense. I think Chris Greer is open-minded, man, and it's kind of cool, right? Like the Dolphins have the only black GM in the NFL. And when you look at the pool of candidates that he's identified – you have um, some good diversity in terms of like some defensive guys when everybody's going offense, some older guys when everybody's going young, you know what I mean? And some minority candidates when, you know, let's be honest, they all got fired on Black Monday. So uh, I think it's kind of cool that Greer is thinking a little differently, a little outside the box. And Travis, we also have to be honest, compared to the other open positions, this Dolphins one is not all that attractive. No, not at all. And that's why I think you have to look kind of outside the box in terms of trying to find a defensive guy in a league that's going offense, kind of trying to zig when the league zags. And you mentioned running the football, Joe, and we can go back even to the 80s when Dan Marino was here. And let's not take away anything from Dan Marino's game, but this team won championships when they ran the football and played defense. And I know it's a different era, but you do that style of play in Miami it's tough for the opposing team to stay with you and condition with you when you're in that heat. And then, of course, that play also translates onto the road and travels in December in cold weather, too. So I'm with you on that. And, Joe, real quick, I want to turn the page to the coaching search here in just a second. But real quick before we do that, I was with you in that locker room at the Miami Miracle. And I don't know if it's possible to see a locker room more jubilant than that locker room was that day. Did, was some of this stuff we've been hearing about the players being disgruntled, was that a product of the three-game losing streak, or was that stuff kind of around before? No, I feel like it was accumulating. You know, it's like when you're in a relationship, you know, sometimes it just starts to evolve or, you know, it starts to seem different. And uh, that first year when the Dolphins went 10-6, and six, a lot of it was smoke and mirrors. A lot of it was close wins. Um, you know, I mean, that's the thing, man, like, you could say, okay, Adam Gase was pretty much 500, had one playoff appearance in three seasons, but they got smashed when they lost. I yeah. mean, they just got crushed, and they were terrible on the road. And so, you know, those things are just really demoralizing. It's like one thing to lose on a last-second field goal, and it's another thing to get crushed 
on national television, which they did like what five times in a row <laughs> last year, just embarrassed. I mean, they had the, you know, of course they had that one a memorable home win against the Patriots, and then the same thing this year with that memorable, shocking home win against the Patriots. But I think all that stuff that we heard about Adam Gase the first year was true. Like the players, like liked that they had a players coach. They liked someone who they could relate to, and who understood the music they wanted to play, and like. You know, and who like expressed an interest in them and joked with them. But I think that uh, for some of the players, there became a chasm of trust where um, they didn't really believe um, that they were being dealt with on a straight level all the time. Some guys, not all. It's you got to be careful because it's not all. You know, there's always going to be guys who like Tannehill who will go to their grave. Uh, you know, uh, defending Gase in the way that Gase defended Tannehill, at least publicly, he had to. He felt he had to. He tied himself to Tannehill, no doubt. But I think that's why it's important that the next guy is a guy who doesn't make excuses, sure. a guy who has a grasp on the locker room, like kind of more of a firm hand, you know, like more of an old school kind of approach. And that's what usually happens, right? Organizations swing from one end to the other. It doesn't necessarily have to be an older dude like Mike Munchak or Vic Fangio, though I certainly think either one of those coaches are viable. It has to be a dude who, uh, you know, who, who has a reputation of being uh, respected and fair, but firm. And I think that that initial shine that kind of comes with the players coach like Adam Gaze, or I go back to like Rex Ryan with the Jets, some of that bravado and some of that, mm. you know, that, that way they carry themselves can rub off if you're not winning games. And that happened in New York in a hurry. And nonetheless, Mike Tannenbaum was there as well, too. So kind of convert, converts over to Miami in the same same vein there as well. But let's talk more you about You know, Gase, I want to say one more thing. You know, Gase, like he, he felt that penalties were a poor reflection on the players and not the coaching staff. Yeah. And that kind of always like resonated with me. It was kind of like, dude, take some responsibility for the lack of discipline that your team shows at times. And I think I think there are some players who think that um, better, more seriousness, like a more serious. I get the sense that Amendola felt that a more serious approach was necessary. Yeah, more more firm, like you mentioned in the previous topic. And I think that that kind of can go back to some of the mistakes they had in the 2017-2016 season, some of those close wins you talk about, that's why the point differential was so bad because they would get waxed on the road and then come home and play pretty well at certain stretches and then have these penalties, these holds, these false starts that would kick them out of field goal range, kick them out of scoring range, and then they'd be left at the end of the game trying to scrape together a win against like a 2-10 and 49ers team, for instance. So that's, I think, to me where a lot of things kind of went wrong with this team was the little mistakes and they just continued to fester over and over again. But we're moving on now. No more Adam Gaze and Adam he should have hired a veteran defensive coordinator, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I always thought that was the case, that too. That was a it's, mistake. And it's it's insane. I'm looking at it. I mean, with all they invested on the defense, how did they give up the most yards in franchise history? <laughs> with all they invested, all this money, all this talent, all these big names, that is absolutely – that's how I'll remember this season, the idea that the defense was so bad, so bad. And when it, it really just shouldn't have been, it shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been that bad. I know everybody gives up yards. Matt Burke always said, oh, everybody gives up yards, but nobody freaking give up as many yards as the Dolphins. <laughs> no, no, not 6,000 yards, especially when, you know, it seemed like one or two injuries would just kind of send everything awry. And the coaches would always blame the injuries when things did go awry. But 
Thankfully, that's not the case anymore. Let's go ahead and shift gears here and talk about the potential head coaches. We'll start with Darren Rizzi. We'll do that next on the other side of the podcast here with Joe Shad on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. All right, I've got Joe Shad with me here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. We're talking all things offseason for this Miami Dolphins team coming up in 2019. And we talked a little bit about the head coaches that are being interviewed throughout the course of the next couple of days or couple of weeks. And Joe, I wanted to start with a guy that's already in-house, a guy that you've talked to a lot of the players in the locker room regarding his potential status as head coach. Of course, special teams coach Darren Rizzi. What is the feeling around the locker room about Darren Rizzi? Is it just the specialist or does everybody in the locker room love him the way guys like Jakeem Grant do, for instance? No, it's interesting. I mean, you know that a Mike Hall and a Walt Aikens and a Brandon Bolden obviously going to, uh, you know, and a Jakeem Grant are obviously going to vouch for uh, Darren Rizzi. But I actually learned that uh, from, you know, Kiko Alonso to Kenyon Drake, who obviously does do some special teams, but uh, to Xavier Howard, uh, you know, basically a lot of the linchpins and the Dolphins, these guys have uh, a lot of respect for uh, for Darren Rizzi, and they all talk about how he uh, – he, uh, you know, how they like him, but he also has a commanding presence. And uh, I'm glad he's getting an interview. I, I know that he has a lot of opportunities uh, already that, that will come his way. Uh, in all likelihood, you know, various NFL special teams opportunities. Um, it would be interesting to see if he would go with Adam Gase, if he were to go to Arizona or the Jets. But, um, you know, Rizzy gets the interview and, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I remember I once thought that... Uh, it was absurd that uh, Dabo Sweeney was getting interviewed as Clemson coach. And then <laughs> lo and behold, he like becomes like Nick Saban part two. So you, you never really know, you know, like oftentimes you think that the, that uh, coaches who are hired uh, in this period of time are, are, are awesome choices. And then they, you know, they flame out. And meanwhile, the Doug Petersons of the world turn out to be really good hires. So uh, hopefully he does well in his interview. Um, obviously, Almost, I've been told that pretty much every guy on the list would offer Rizzy the opportunity to stay, okay. which is just crazy. Yeah, I mean he's he's been with five Dolphins coaches, <laughs> going back to two thousand nine, and uh, it really is incredible to think about uh, how he has survived, and it's because he does his job well, man. Yeah, I'd, I'd hate to see him go. I'd hate to lose him for sure. Um, whether or not he's ready for the head coaching job, who knows? Like you said, it's such a crapshoot as far as picking who can take you know a job like a coordinator job and parlay it into a head coach's position because they're two different jobs so it's really hard to figure out who's going to be successful you mentioned Dabo Sweeney I think Sean McVay was an afterthought when he got hired look at him go now and Joe you talked earlier about the cast of characters the Dolphins have brought in on this interview list and they're so unique from one another like you mentioned Vic Fangio Mike Munchak older guys one defensive guy one offensive line coach Eric Bieniemy, the next hot coordinator name so to speak Chris Richard the defensive coordinator star rising up for the Seahawks and now the Cowboys and of course Brian Flores of New England is there a prevailing thought about who the favorite might be out of that group a leader in the clubhouse if you will I think that and I don't have inside information on this from Chris Greer or or uh, uh, Stephen Ross and really those are the two who are going to make this decision it's Greer's decision but obviously uh, Ross is going to be in the room and he's going to have uh, his opinion but you know Ross picked Gase and Ross picked Philbin, and so now it's time for him to trust someone else to actually make this choice. Um, My thought would be that uh, Greer will go into this open-minded and really want to hear from these guys, uh, like, all right, what is your staff plan? 
you know, what it's shown me, proved to me that you have a, a plan of organization. You know, it's interesting, like Fangio, he's not going to go in there with like a glossy binder with like printouts of what he would do on every day from like now for the next year. You know what I mean? Like some of these coaches, they go into these interviews so prepped, like they have like all these quote sheets of like people saying nice things about them. You know, like Gase had like, you know, Peyton Manning, like, I don't know, Peyton Manning probably wrote a book (laughs) on behalf of Adam Gase. Here are all the reasons uh, you should hire Adam Gase. And I guess that, that, that PR machine is still working overdrive behind the scenes because Gase is uh, getting plenty of love uh, from the national media and, uh, and, and getting his interviews. So I'd be curious to know who's going to hire as his defensive coordinator. Like, okay, you're interviewing with the Jets. We, you can hire Todd Bowles as your defensive coordinator. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the all-star of Dol- former Dolphins coaches there up in New York. We'll see if that happens. It'd be interesting if it does for sure. Or if he goes back to Cleveland and reunites with Jarvis Landry, that'd be fantastic. But I, th- I think that's not going to happen based on what I've heard so far. But Joe, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the famous brother duo because rumors about either Harbaugh making the trek south to Miami have been prevalent, whether or not they're warranted or not. And we know Stephen Ross admires both of those men quite a lot. How much credibility would you give the reports that Stephen Ross is sniffing around the Ann Arbor campus and the Ravens complex out there in Baltimore? It's really crazy because, well, is it, there's not a report that he's in Ann Arbor, right? <laughs> no, no, just that for, I think fan-sided <laughs> reported that he's trying to get them to trade Joe, uh, John Harbaugh. And then there's uh, Eric Galco from Optimum Scouting is talking about Jim Harbaugh being linked to the Dolphins still. So they're out there. No, I, I got you. I got you. I was just being playful. Yeah. I'm sure that he's, <laughs> in he's preparing yeah. for his uh, interview with Eric Bieniemy, which is as early as tomorrow. Brian Flores, which will be Friday. Uh, Vic Fangio, which will be Monday, and uh, he's got another one on Sunday. So Thursday <clears throat> through Monday or Tuesday will be the first round of Dolphins interviews. But here's the thing. Like my boss keeps asking me about timeline. Well, what's the timeline? I said, well, it depends on John Harbaugh. Uh, and by the way, the Dolphins fans, if you want John Harbaugh, root, they play Sunday, right? Yeah. So yeah, root yeah. for them to lose on, uh, I believe it's Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever it is this weekend. Uh, because, uh, yes, it's my belief that, um, Stephen Ross would love to acquire, uh, John Harbaugh. Absolutely. I believe that if John Harbaugh was uh, a free agent right now and John wanted to come to Miami, that, that he would be the choice. Yes. So, uh, but I understand that John Harbaugh doesn't want to go to a team that ends up giving up too much for him. Right. It was kind of like Carmelo Anthony when he went to the Knicks. I grew up in New York. He went to the Knicks and they gave up too much and they stunk goals because they gave up too much. Now Carmelo is playing with scrubs. <laughs> John Harbaugh doesn't want to go to the team that gave up too for a draft for him as well. Like sort of opposite what the Dolphins are trying to do. Yeah, I, I just can't see why you'd want to trade multiple draft picks for a guy when you're on a rebuilding process. And why would John want to come to Miami? I mean, I get that there's money. I get there's personal connections. Maybe the desire to rebuild something that you did in Baltimore. I don't know. But what would be the compensation if they were going to trade for a head coach? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we can only use some common sense and, and say that the Ravens want at least a first-round draft pick and that the Dolphins perhaps be willing to give up a two and a three or two twos max. You know, I, I don't see any scenario through where the Dolphins give up a first-round draft pick. I mean, it just wouldn't make any sense. I don't see – if anything, I think you could see the Dolphins hiring a coach and, you know uh, – if it doesn't work out, pursue a Harbaugh at a later date. 
That's part of the problem here, right? These coaches know that they're supposed to lose next year. How hard is that? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's my first job as a head coach. Oh, listen, uh, the plan here is to lose. That's like major league, right? <laughs> yeah, the owner's going to sell your team to Miami. Well, I guess to Miami wouldn't work out because they're already there. But And then you look at what Steve Wilkes went through in Arizona, losing out after his first year on his job. So mm-hmm. that makes it even more of a challenge. And I just, I, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens in the coming days. But Joe, I know it's your offseason too now. So I really appreciate you taking the time to go over the offseason plans here. And I just wanted to thank you for doing the podcast with me. Again, he is Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post. You can follow him on Twitter at Shad Joe. Joe, I really appreciate it, my friend. You're welcome. See you, Travis. And there he goes, Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Really great to talk to him and get some insight from a guy that has his feet on the ground there in Davie. But as for this podcast, that is going to be my time today on the show. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockdownFins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again